0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors, to this Tactical Tuesday, practical insights and guidance to help you in your clean energy business and career. Today, we have a compilation of conversations with some of the Department of Energy's best and brightest. We're going to kick things off with a guy who I have long wanted to get on Suncast, and I actually hope to do a longer, deeper dive into his career, and that's Mr. Chris Castro. Chris is a rising star, as you will hear. He is the Chief of Staff for the Office of State and Community Energy Programs at the Department. Of energy. After we hear from uh, Chris, we are going to listen to a conversation that I had with my friend Anna Siefkin, past guest here on Suncast, and now senior advisor for the Office of Technology Transition at the Department of Energy. And then we will round things out with an interview done by my good friend and the host of the Squeaky Clean podcast, Mr. Matt Abel. He is interviewing Henry McCoy. Henry is Chris Castro's boss, the director of the Office of State and Community Energy Programs. These three conversations we recorded live back in March at the UNC Cleantech Summit. And it is a fascinating glimpse at exactly how our Department of Energy is deploying millions of dollars and extremely talented individuals into solving our climate crisis and bringing fascinating technology and talent to bear on that task hope that you enjoy it and i hope that you will subscribe to the show as that'll ensure that you get our twice weekly content just like this practical tactical advice on tuesdays and long form executive profiles on thursday for now let's get ready to tune up your skills solo warrior as we tune into another tactical practical episode here on suncast Welcome back to the Suncast Media Zone live at the UNC Clean Tech Summit 2023. I'm your host, Nico Johnson, and I am joined today by Mr. Chris Castro. Chris is, uh, I like to say, he's a rising star. I first started following Chris when he was the Director of Sustainability for the City of Orlando. But as we so often see in 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 the current administration, at least, we have real practitioners, folks that have actually built businesses working in, uh, in the public service. I appreciate that, Chris. You are now thank the you. Chief of Staff for the Office of State and Community Energy Programs That's in correct. the DOE.
1: That's correct. You're burning the candle at both ends, man. That is true, all around the clock. Nico, yeah. thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and kind of share what's going on uh, at the Department of Energy and the evolution that we're going through yeah. in this current magic moment. Yeah, man, I appreciate the opportunity to learn more
0: you know, the current administration has really reimagined, as I'm going to borrow a term that you've used, reimagined, reenvisioned what the Department of Energy's role is and right. how it will evolve to continue to serve our energy needs and our communities for decades. Could you paint the picture for us? like Put us in the room around the narrative that's
1: happening at DOE and why the Office of State and Community Energy Programs now exists. Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're at a really magical moment. I keep saying Uh, it's kind of the perfect storm for climate action and clean energy, because over the last year and a half, Congress has delivered the most meaningful investment into this space that we've ever seen in our history. And in fact, we've probably ever seen around the world. We're talking about close to five hundred billion dollars worth of climate and clean energy investment across the U.S. government because of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Right. Mm -hmm. The Chips and Science Act and of course, the Inflation Reduction Act. These three bills you know, basically create the backbone and basically the brain behind how we drive forward a clean energy economy into the future that, that benefits all Americans. Right Now, US Department of Energy has been around for about 46 years at this point in time, and the focus of it has been research and development. Right? We have these 17 national labs, all focused on researching the next cutting edge technologies, cleaning up our infrastructure, and, and now we're to a point where these technologies have commercialized, and they are able to start to scale. And the funding that has come to the Department of Energy because of these bills is not really focused anymore on research and development as much as it is on equitable deployment. Mm-hmm. How do we actually start to scale and deploy these resources into the American public and, and start to transition our economy towards one that's fossil-based there's one that's clean energy based. So, as part of that, our secretary Jennifer Granholm quickly realized that DOE was not organized and set up to deploy mm-hmm. to be a, a deployment agency around these resources. Right. Again, we've been an R and D agency and one that's focused on national security, of course, with all the nuclear national nuclear security administration work. So, all that said, is we needed to think differently, and the secretary worked with leadership to create a new undersecretary of infrastructure. Uh-huh. This is a new pillar at the Department of Energy that now has eight program offices nestled under it that are focused on this concept of equitable deployment. Mm-hmm. Right? You have this grid deployment office, what we call GDO, that's focused on, obviously, enhancing and modernizing our grid. We need yeah. to almost double the electric grid as we're bringing on EVs and electrifying and adding these distributed energy resources. Right? we gotta, we got to figure that out. That's a critical backbone. We also have manufacturing and energy supply chains office, what we call MESC, that's focused on trying to onshore the clean energy supply chain and bring back manufacturing to the US so that we can lead this charge around the world, right? So that we can be less dependent on other sources to to meet our demands. And then you have Office of State and Community Energy Programs, we call it SCEP, and and this office really is intended to be the tip of the spear, to work with states and tribes and communities and partner with a wide range of, of, of actors to equitably deploy clean energy technologies and practices at scale. And that's the exciting part about it, is kind of bringing all these what have been fragmented programs touching these different partners and bring them all into one shop so that we can be more intentional, more efficient, more effective, and more impactful in our delivery. I
0: have not, have not heard anyone so eloquently package what the secretary has envisioned. So I really appreciate you walking us through at least the, those three pillars of the undersecretary role and, and how this is all coming together. I think it's really important a lot of folks don't really understand how the DOE works, or what they work on, or how mm-hmm. to benefit from this public service. Sure. So if we focus specifically on the state and community energy programs, or SCEP, yep. you were employee one uh, a week ahead of your boss Henry, who uh, yes. we also have interviewed here at this show, and you manage. I mean, it's, it, is, it is itself akin to a mega corporation, if you will, right? Multi billion dollar budget. Can you talk a bit about the scope, the budget, the staffing? How, is SCEP, how has it come together over the last eight months since you've been appointed, eight and a half since you've been appointed? Mm-hmm. And where is
1: that program, where's the spear pointed? Sure. So I, I, as you mentioned, um, got contacted by the president's office to, to come up to DOE and kind of take the skill set that I was doing in Orlando and, quite frankly, a, a challenging marketplace. Mm-hmm. And doing really well and say, how do we scale that stuff, right? So I, I came in July of 2022 to help start up this new office. And to your point, it's akin to basically creating a new company. Yeah. And and as an entrepreneur, I feel it. It it very much feels like we're starting a new company, fully funded, and like, you know, at a certain point, right now we're half-staffed, but of course, I have yeah. had to build up this team with, you know, to deliver on this program. So Skep now has 16 billion dollars. Worth of of formula and competitive grants, and a $700 million annual budget, so base budget. So the $16 billion is is grant programs that are going out, 28 different programs that will literally touch over 250 million Americans. This funding will flow to all 50 states, five territories, over 2,000 cities, 744 tribal governments and tribal associations, And that's just the formula money that we know is dedicated going out, not the competitive dollars that we know are going to fund and support thousands of other entities, right? The cool thing about how SCEP is being set up is we've brought two very foundational programs at DOE to be our anchors. Mm -hmm. The first program is known as the Weatherization Assistance Program. It's the longest serving, low income efficiency program over 40 years and it flows to all states, and it then gets into every county government in the country and works with community action agencies to start delivering no-cost weatherization to the lowest income. That program has $3.5 billion worth of funding to start driving every single year these improvements, right? Secondly is the state energy program. That's also another 40-year-old initiative that flows to all 50 states, five territories, and Washington, D.C. And it's an annual appropriation. Usually it's about $66 million that goes and flows out. And it helps the states develop new types of energy efficiency programs, address national energy security issues, think about grid planning, and even their own operations. How do we start retrofitting our own public buildings and transitioning our fleets and all that stuff, right? So that money goes to the states to drive that work. Now, the, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law added $500 million to that pot, so over the course of the next four years, we're going to be adding to that 66 and providing additional funds to the states, right? Then you have this new pillar that has come called the Community Energy Programs. Yeah. And this is where I get really excited because it's new pathways that then get into our cities and not just our cities, but community-serving institutions. Mm-hmm. So, so this big, one of the big grants is called Energy Efficiency Conservation Block Grants, EECBG. Yeah. $550 million, flows to 2,708 entities, and ultimately is driving reduction in cost, reduction in emissions, and driving efficiency. That's pretty much the priorities of that fund. You can do a lot of things under the sun in that right. grant, and so it's very flexible. We also have dedicated money for nonprofit 501c3s, public school districts, workforce agencies, higher ed institutions. So it's no longer directed just to government, per se, but it's all these community-serving institutions that support our communities in making this transition, right? So that's where I get super stoked. And then I mean kind of the, this last piece is around what we call the partnerships and technical assistance. So in addition to the money going out and being grant managers, we also have to provide technical assistance to these communities, especially those that don't have a sustainability director or don't have an energy manager. And they're, they're trying to figure out what do I do with this money where do I start? Where am I along this journey of clean energy? And how do I tap in? And so we help to coordinate a lot of the technical assistance that's offered across the agency, depending on the need of a community, and connect them. If it's a grid-related stuff, we'll go go to GDO and connect them to the grid deployment office, right? If it's something on a technology-specific, we'll go to EERE, and maybe it's something solar or Mm geothermal-based, right? And so we're kind of this hub-and-spoke model at DOE that's not only giving grants at Massive scale, $16 but also being the connective tissues at DOE that allows the community to kind of navigate a lot of what's going on in a simpler way, right? It's really interesting. I think about the way that you're describing it, it reminds me of the
0: conversations that I've had with entrepreneurs who've won American Made Challenge Prize, right? Because they get, it's a very similar narrative for these entrepreneurs, Mm. and it seems to me like a program now at the DOE that says, hey... Why don't we support not just entrepreneurs, but these community managers, these program managers? They don't have access to the connective tissue and the dollars yes. that these entrepreneurs do. Like, we're stimulating tech, and then we have to deploy it back down to communities in an equitable
1: way. I think it's, it. really, it's a really genius concept. And it's something you know, unconventional for government, right? Yeah. We're used to kind of just managing the money, get yeah. the money out, and kind of do your thing, right, yeah. type of thing. And, and we realize that we can't do that. Mm to actually make this pivot. There's no way we will win, and so we need to step up and and provide a much better navigation and kind of ability, access into DOE that they feel that they Mm -hmm. can tangibly make a difference in their communities. A few more questions. I know you've got, we're, we're short
0: on time with you. If you look out a year from now, you're barely a year into the role, so let's say 18 to 24 months into this role, what do you feel is going to be the, the pillar that you point to? And you say, I'm
1: really proud of what we accomplished there. Well, first of all, I think it's just establishing this office mm. for perpetuity, yeah. right? The idea is that this is not something that's coming in because of yeah. administrations and political cycles. Mm-hmm. This is about establishing a foundational office that will live for decades to come mm-hmm. and support states, tribes, and communities to drive this clean energy forward. So uh-huh. that's first. And, and part of me and Henry's kind of role in this as uh-huh. leadership is to... Hire the right team yeah. that looks like America. Focus mm. on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yep. Also ensure that we have the right systems in place and standard operating procedures to, to make this thing run efficiently. Yep. Right. We have 175 approved employee billets. We're about 85 staffed at this point in time in, the, in, in just eight months. right? Yeah. So we're pushing hard, but we yeah. got another half staff to go. Mm. And our goal is by the end of this year, we're fully staffed up right? In addition, not just feds, but also our contractors, which could be yeah. over 100 additional staff. Um, so so we need to staff up. We need to have the foundational structures. We need to make sure that SCEP is long. But really, we're about impact. We're about delivering mm-hmm. benefits, right? And so what I envision is, you know, 50,000 new households this year will be weatherized as yeah. a result of the weatherization assistance program. 50,000 households. In addition to that, we're going to start to see literally over 2,000 communities mm-hmm. get sometimes their first clean energy money to yeah. start this process of thinking about the planning mm-hmm. and starting to do their first clean energy investments, right? Yeah. And so I'm excited to see more solar, more EV in the ground, starting to transition our fleets, starting to retrofit our public and our private buildings. And then the last thing I'll quickly mention is, I mean, there's so much here, mm-hmm. but, but one of them is the rebates, right? The Inflation yeah. Reduction Act okay. landed $10 billion into SCAP. Yeah. Nine billion of that is focused on home energy rebates that are targeted to the lowest income. Our goal is to basically deploy these resources to the lowest income to retrofit more than five hundred thousand households. So nine billion for LMI retrofit, correct? Buildings and homes, homes and multifamily as well. It it really does incorporate all types of properties, and it's cash rebates. I mean, these are rebates depending on your income. You can get up to fourteen thousand dollars. Amazing to improve your home, cash, right? So so there's an opportunity here to really transform lives, to improve the quality of life for people, So to make sure that they're cooler in the summer and they're warmer in the winter, make sure that they can actually have an affordable energy bill, because right now energy burdens are super high, especially Mm -hmm. in our BIPOC and our low-income communities. So the the quality of their life and the value of their home. And the value of their home. And so the idea is that these programs are, you know, in a year plus from now, are actually delivering benefits for Americans that are helping them ease on affordability, that are improving their quality of life and health, and of course, giving them an ability to drive forward climate action, you know, from their perspective, so... That's the goal. I, I know that we could,
0: uh, we could do this for two hours. Easy. And I'm really, you know, I'm envious. I, I see exactly why the, the presidential cabinet picked you among the thousands of, that we could have we plucked. You. I really believed in the work that you were doing in Orlando and the energy that you give to the Department of Energy is, <laughs> is I mean, there are few who could be doing the job that you and Henry are doing. Thanks. Man. And I think it's Yeoman's work, but it's also, it's really inspiring to see, and I haven't seen this in my lifetime, Way that, in particular, the Department of Energy is pulling real entrepreneurial talent into public service. I look at Jagger, Anna, David Crane, David Crane. Like the people on this team
1: are people that we've looked to our entire careers and said. I want to be like that person. Yeah. You know? And if we can get them in there yeah. and they can help shape what They're we're inspiring. doing, we can transform this country. That's what we're doing. We're recruiting the best talent in this country and we're committed to making this happen. And I'm gonna you know, give every single ounce I have to it.
0: You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best in class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution, or C&I solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Have you been curious about utility-scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really gonna be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score of the value of your survey and design process, would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanafly next Wednesday, the thirty-first of May at two p.m. Eastern Time, or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay. At any point, you are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal the benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys. It's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. Welcome back. My name is Nico Johnson with the Suncast Media Zone here live at the UNC Clean Tech Summit. And today I have with me Ms. Anna Siefkin, Senior Advisor for the Office of Technology Transition at the Department of Energy. It is such a joy to see you. And
2: quite a mouthful, right?
0: It is. It is. You've you've had quite the transition since uh, we last hung out and, and talked about all the things that you were up to back at Carnegie Mellon. Yes. You have ascended- into uh, technology transition. We're going to talk a bit about that, but I actually wanted to just take sort of current events under, under our wing. You just got back from Brazil.
2: I did. I just got back from Brazil. It was the meeting of the Clean Energy Ministerial and Mission Innovation, which are two really important nonprofits that spun out of the Department of Energy. And I have recently been named the delegate for the United States. Wow. On the Technical Advisory Group. So it's a, it's a big honor But the thing that I like the most is that it provides the opportunity for me to sort of engage with additional stakeholders on Mm -hmm. the international stage to make sure that we're putting together the public-private partnerships and that we're doing the bilaterals between the governments to actually move forward in key areas. So Mission Innovation has seven topics that it focuses on, and I am working on three of them. So Green Powered Future is one of them, and then the other two are... Zero energy shipping or I should say yeah zero emission shipping yeah and the, the last one is it's industrial decarbonization but it's net zero industries okay. So looking at hard to abate technologies oh, gosh. around the world so yeah. looking at the, the hardest what, things.
0: What are the technologies or the verticals that fall into hard to abate? We know steel is one we've talked steel about Steel
2: is an important one concrete and asphalt mm. and also chemicals. yeah so those are really the areas that we're looking at in that in that particular vertical.
0: A lot of manufacturing, a lot of molecules.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? We're really focused on reshoring manufacturing, which is really difficult. So not only do you have this issue of how do we keep the manufacturing green, but how do we actually bring it back into the United States so we have supply chain Mm. ready when we need it?
0: I just love what our administration is doing in grabbing experts in the field because the viewers aren't going to know your history, but Anna spent quite a significant amount of time in Steeltown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
2: Helping, where I still live. I you still, still live, live there.
0: Thinking about how do we revitalize our, the, our rust belt? How do we revitalize the mm-hmm. communities yep. that built not just ours, but many countries. That's right. And from a technology perspective. Well, I want to actually think about what the administration saw in the work that you were doing there sort of spurred them to bring you into this office that I would argue most folks aren't aware exists. What is the Office of Technology Transition and why does it, what is the sort of mission that you're on and why were you particularly brought into the Office of Technology Transition?
2: So I think I'll answer the questions backwards. Go for it. So Vanessa Chan and I, uh, she's the Chief Commercialization Officer and the Director of the office. She and I had the opportunity to co-panel in 2021 Mm. and we instantly realized that we had this sort of synergy, simpatico between yeah. us in terms of the way that we thought about commercialization. What it really means is that the market has to be ready for these new emerging technologies. Yeah. And that takes work. Mm-hmm. So if you think back to solar 20 years ago, there was no, it was too expensive. The market couldn't support it. And so the government stepped in to sort of provide the catalytic funding that actually moved things along. Right. And then we brought industry into the fold. We got regulations in line that's the kind of work that we do. So what we're doing is identifying where the barriers are to market adoption for new technologies, and then trying to push as many technologies into that window as possible. And that's the kind of stuff that I was doing in my previous life, right? Between the work that I did at Home Depot, where I was doing product procurement, Mm -hmm. to the work that I did when I was consulting to the EPA and the DOE. I mean, it was really, how do you get how do you raise the floor? Yeah. How do you bring the best products into the market? And how do you actually accelerate those technologies? Because honestly, it's going to be this all of the above approach. We're going to have to really focus on getting as many things as possible moving forward. You know, mm-hmm. Because if we're going to electrify everything, if we're going to you know, move towards cleaner energy sources and cleaner energy generation, yeah. we actually have to have all of these enabling technologies in place. And yeah. that's what we work on. So I was happy to do public service. I'm about to start my second year, which yeah. is great. And I am really, really excited at the work that we're doing. Most importantly, last week, we announced it at Sierra week, uh, yeah. but we are putting out a series of reports on that we're calling the Pathways to Commercial Liftoff. And there are four of them. So again, I'm going to go down my list. So we have advanced nuclear, we have clean hydrogen, we have long-duration energy storage, mm-hmm. and we have carbon management. So four okay. key areas.
0: Advanced nuclear, long-duration energy, hydrogen, and
2: um, fourth. Carbon management. Carbon management. Carbon management. So when we look at the barriers associated with those, I mean, there's like a laundry list. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we actually did kind of a, a review of the market, talking with industry and understanding what they were saying. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just us thinking about what we saw. It was them telling us what they need, yeah. which is us really reaching into industry to understand exactly what the barriers are. Yeah. And the interesting thing about these reports, which are at liftoff.energy.gov, mm-hmm is that we're gonna constantly update them. So as we receive new information, because you know we're, we've sort of grown tired of reports that just go on a website and they sit there. So that website actually is interactive and you have the ability to pull the information that you want yeah. and it will be updated when we get new information, which is kind of a new model for the DOE. We're really trying to think of ways that we can engage with industry yeah. to understand. And actually, my background in industry kind of fits nicely with that, too. So it's been great to sort of bring that lens into public service.
0: Yeah, I've been encouraged by the folks that are now in public service in this administration, focused on really building an ecosystem and the partnership That's right. corridors for entrepreneurship and technology innovation mm-hmm. to get out of the lab and into the field.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, what we don't want to have happen is to have people create <laughs> new innovations that don't meet a market need. Yeah. So we're trying to actually understand what the market need is so that we mm-hmm. can encourage more companies to go in that direction yeah. so that we're solving the problems, not creating widgets that don't have a home.
0: So a lot of folks are familiar with what Jigger's working on and the department, uh, the loan office, but they're probably less familiar with how they can engage with your office or the umbrella of services that come under right. the technology office. Can you talk a bit about that?
2: It's true. So we actually we provide kind of the power behind a lot of programs that people mm-hmm. don't know that we're a part of. So EPIC is a regional ecosystem building program that we mm-hmm. run. We run the Technology Commercialization Fund, which is funding that goes to the National Labs, and many people partner with the National Labs on those funding mechanisms. But I would say we're sort of an insider's um, organization. But then we do have a lot of students that are focused, programs that are focused on students. We run an entrepreneurship, an extrapreneurship program Mm -hmm. that has about 40 students based at the National Labs we've started a new program called the Energy Tech Up, which is the university prize, which is a competition much like the American-made prizes, which, by the way, were sort of the underpinnings of the American-made prizes, right? right? That was sort of an original idea that came out of OTT. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of like the powerhouse behind. We've been very nimble, and we're what I would call an enabling office. So many people know ARPA-E as kind of an enabling office because they provide funding at very specific times. We provide technology assistance and technology know-how, and there are people like me who serve in roles where we can actually help shepherd technologies along. So I've been deeply engaged, for example, in long-duration energy yeah. storage. So I, I want to do want to tell you that one more thing. Yeah, for is sure. That we at, also at Sierra, at Week, Sierra Week in Week. 20, 2023, we launched a memorandum of inter- understanding and a partnership with the Long-Duration Energy Storage Council, EPRI, and EEI, that are actually looking specifically at how to accelerate towards the energy shot that we have in place for long duration energy storage. So we lined it up with a bunch of our internal colleagues at DOE, but we're using it as a mechanism to create additional activities, which is one of the reasons, you know, I immediately go from here to the next event where I'm partnering with one of those organizations to continue to spread the word about the importance of long duration energy storage. We can't do solar and wind and be successful unless we have storage. And there's so much work that has to be done. We're tracking somewhere between 30 and 80 different technologies. And all of those folks are going to be under the umbrella of that MOU when we get done.
0: Well, for those who are now, their their palette is wetted. They want to engage more. How do they find out more about the office
2: and even maybe connect with you? So they would really just need to contact me about the MOU. There's nothing <laughs> out there right now on the MOU at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because we haven't done the final signu- the yeah. signatures. We also haven't figured out what the pledge is going to look like. Yeah. So what we're envisioning is that there'll be a pledge so that startups, corporations, et cetera, can, can sort of sign a pledge that sort of denotes how they're going to fit into the work that we're yeah. doing together.
0: But generally speaking, not just the pledge for long duration energy storage, but the services at OTT. How do you, oh, well, how can our folks-
2: website. So you go to energy.gov. And you search for the Office of Technology Transitions, yeah. and we have an incredibly robust website that has absolutely everything on it that talks all about our programs, our funding mechanisms, and the kind of projects that we work on. There's a lot of work that we do on the lab partnering service, which is yeah. helping people understand what IP is available. Right. We have some 25,000 patents that are sitting at the national labs that mm. are ready to be picked is that,
0: up. Is that all searchable, or you have all to pick up the phone and call someone?
2: No, no, lab partnering service. You can, t- you know plug in a particular keyword of your interest, and it will tell you all of the people at the national labs, which national lab, what programs they're working on, yeah. and it's a resource that we created a couple of years ago because we saw this gap. Yeah. So we do a lot of gap filling.
0: Yeah, well, I think that those, you know, certainly I have learned a ton about where the gaps are getting filled. I don't know how you manage to keep it all in your mind and tip of tongue, but I'm always impressed when I get a chance to sit down. Anna Siefkin is the Senior Advisor at the Office of Technology Transitions, which you've heard us refer to as OTT. It's part of the Department of Energy, and it is certainly a joy to
3: have you back on the Suncast stage.
2: Always a pleasure. I love being here, and I appreciate the opportunity.
3: So this afternoon, I'm joined by Dr. Henry McCoy, who is the Director of the Office of State and Community Energy Programs with the U.S. Department of Energy Welcome, and uh, thanks for being here this afternoon.
4: Thanks so much, so appreciate you having me.
3: So the, the office that you you work for now at the Department of Energy is a relatively new office. Can you tell us about the, the mission of the Office of State and Community Energy Programs and uh, you know what it's set out to achieve?
4: Yeah, so the office is a brand new office. It came about as part of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law that got passed in November of 2021, and then since it got plussed up when the Inflation Reduction Act got passed in August of 2022. When I started the role in July of 2021, I mean, July 2022, my office had $6 billion. Three weeks later, the Inflation Reduction Act passed and we had $16 billion. And so it's been quite a ride. I tell people that it's a, we're a startup, but we're a startup with a lot of money. And so, but it comes with all of that, that comes with being a startup. So we have to figure out how to staff up. We have to think about the mission and, and how do we get the team jailed. and that's, has its unique challenges in a world of virtual, you know, we're hiring people all across the United States where it used to be if you wanted to work for the Department of Energy, you had to move to Washington, D.C. And so our office is really set up to be this kind of tip of the spear into a community. So historically, DOE has been largely research and development. So about 80 to 90% of it has been research development. We have 17 national labs across the United States. You know, they're doing everything from atomic energy to renewable energy to, you know, what you can, you know, floating wind and hydrogen and, and all these Kind of fancy things. But at this point, this, it's about deploying capital and deploying these technologies and things as a community. And so the mission of, of our organization or my office is to really work very closely with states, local governments, tribal nations, community members, everyone you can think about to make investments in communities, make sure those communities can absorb those investments and really decarbonize society. Understanding that we have tremendous goals as it relates to decarbonization, there's no way you get to those goals without including everybody.
3: So it sounds like you have you have a lot on your plate between integrating within the department, but then also being front lines out in the communities all across the country. And I, I had a chance to actually uh, see you come down to an event just a couple of months ago in uh, southeastern North Carolina yeah, over yeah. in Pembroke with the Lumbee Regional Development Association in which they had uh, deployed a large commercial solar right. installation right. there. Right. That was a perfect example, right, of, of working with you know a community right here in North Carolina where clean energy is directly impacting their bottom line and helping them save money on their utility bills and reinvest into their community, which is so great Mm -hmm. to see. And so we talked a little bit prior to the recording that you know there were some legacy programs prior to the start of, of your office and then some new programs that you're working on. So can you tell us a little bit more about where some of that funding is going to via some of those legacy programs and some of those new programs as well?
4: Yeah, well, as I mentioned, we have about 16 billion dollars that we have for funding in the organization that broken down roughly across 30 different programs. So we have a lot going on and a lot of moving pieces. We have our weatherization assistance program, which is one of those legacy programs, it's been around for almost 50 years. It works with putting resources in the state hands that then put them in the local government hands and these community action agencies. So there's about $3.5 billion in, in the weatherization assistance program that, that must be deployed. And we have something called the state energy program, which is also another legacy program, been around as long as the weatherization program. In that, we have about $810 million. And that money goes to all 50 states, five territories, Washington, D.C. To really go through a list of, of eligible activities, innovate around clean energy or to invest in community and things of that nature, so weatherization three and a half billion state energy program eight hundred and ten billion i mean t- eight hundred and ten million we then have a brand new program called community energy program it 's one of our newest programs. community energy program has about one point two billion in it that 's covering everything from five hundred and fifty million for energy efficiency conservation block grants that 's going to go out to twenty seven hundred and eight grantees across the United States, including all 50 states, the territories, um, 1,878 local governments, 744 tribes, including the 575 federally recognized tribes, and then 200 tribes in in Alaska. In addition, that we have $500 million that will be invested in schools, $50 million invested in nonprofits, $260 million invested in workforce development. And so that that community energy space really is about going deep. And we also have a new program called Local Government Energy Program, which is trying to drive creativity and innovation from the local government standpoint. So, $3.5 3.5 billion in weatherization, 810 million in state energy program, 1.2 billion in community energy programs. Then we kind of have a, a the whopper, which is our inflation reduction act, which is uh, we have a, about in that pillar about 10 billion dollars. And that $10 billion is really stretched across. $8.8 billion of that is focused on rebates, energy rebates. And so it's a new program that, that, that helps to electrify homes in terms of moving them from fossil fuel to uh, re- more renewables, rebates on, on, um, on appliances and new energy appliances and things of that nature. So that's $8.8 billion for that. We have another $1 billion in that pillar focused around codes, where we're trying to get the local governments and state governments to think about their codes and how they might upgrade their codes. That's kind of how the, the breakdown works, weatherization, state energy program, community energy program, and uh, what we call partnerships and technical assistance, which is our uh, Inflation Reduction Act. That's
3: a whole lot of work <laughs> for your office. How many people work in your office now?
4: So right now we're, right, we're pushing it right around 90 people, and that, that's, we've had the staff up to that point, but, we, but we're on our way to close to 200 people, um, and then we have a, a number of contractors to, to support that. So between the, in the long run, between the, the federal employees, and contract, we'll probably end up close to 400 folks in that office to, to do this work. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of
3: work, but the, the impact, you know, far exceeds the, the amount of work that, you know, you have with all those, those staff members. I, you know, I can attest directly to the, to the weatherization assistance program here in North Carolina and how much great work it's done for communities all across the state and you mentioned codes as well. We're currently in the process right now of, of updating North Carolina's energy conservation codes. We're currently operating on 2009 standards, <laughs> so we're hoping to, to get a little bit, little bit further along on that front as well. So in terms of communities that are out there that are looking for some additional funding to support energy efficiency or clean energy projects, are there competitive bidding processes coming up in which they might be able to apply for some of those funds as well?
4: Yeah, so this is uh, essentially we have a, our funding broken out into formula and competitive. And so we have, a, again, the formula grant, like grants are kind of legacy. Here's a formula based on your size, your perhaps your energy burden, things of that nature. It gets kind of spit out that way. The competitive side, we're also standing up. And what we want we to do with the competitive side is really to help draw the innovation from communities, right? You know, what are you doing that, that that other communities to learn from? How can we support that? How can we fund that? How can we move that work forward? And so there's, there are a number of things that are going to be coming out in the months ahead. We're also trying to make a, um, the bar a little bit lower in order to kind of get into these because, uh, you know, some of these notice of, of funding can be pretty intimidating. Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages that you have to fill out and, and submit. We're trying to make it easier by, creating a number of things. One is we're doing more prizes and prizes are really, you think about like X prize or something like that, where we're basically saying, look, we have a goal of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to the moon. You tell us how you're going to get there. In this case, we're trying to you know, decarbonize society. We're trying to lift communities up. We're trying to connect the historically disparaged communities. Tell us how you're going to get there. So we may ask you to submit a three minute video. We may ask you to submit a five page concept. So it's a, it's a lower kind of stepping stone to get in. And then we may be able to have multi-rounded prizes. Well, hey, here's the first round. You do this, we give you another round. So those are things that we're trying to do to to, to really kind of open it up and make it a lot more equitable. Because a lot of times the the communities that need it the most are the ones that have the hardest time getting it. And so from a competitive standpoint, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to uh, really be creative in in terms of how we open up the front door to to invite communities in. That's incredible.
3: And I mean, that's exactly right. You know, I've talked to a lot of rural communities throughout the state where, they don't have a full-time staff member dedicated to writing grants and mm-hmm. tracking all of the funding opportunities that are coming down the pike, and so lowering that barrier of entry to make sure that those who needed the most can get those that funding.
4: Well, to that, to that, we're also doing something very unique around that aspect as well. So, because of that fact that a lot of communities don't have full-time staff to apply for it or to manage it, because you know, once we give you a grant, you got to put in data, you got to, you got to, we got to track you, we got to make sure that, that, that you know you're. you're Great stewards of the American people's money. However, what we're doing now is we're introducing what we call blueprints and vouchers. And blueprints and vouchers, to kind of simplify it, if a community has no idea what they want to do, then we will provide some potential blueprints. Hey, have you thought about this? If you want to do EV charges, have you thought about this? So it gives them something to actually kind of put their uh, mind around and say, oh, I think that's what I want to do. I want to do that blueprint versus that. On the voucher side, um, to make it simple, we have an opportunity where um, folks can use a voucher based on the amount of money that they got from us that doesn't require them to set up a whole grants administration process, doesn't require them to hire anybody new. They click on the voucher and say, hey, I want to do that blueprint on the EV charges. I want to use these resources I have right here that you gave me. Say it's $200,000. We can marry the two and, and make the, help them make the transaction happen. And so in our mind, that's a, a much simpler way of moving some of these resources um, kind of through the portal. So, are
3: those blueprints are already currently accessible on the website? People that can access those?
4: Well, we're, we're in the process now of, of releasing, I think, the first five blueprints um, because it's, it's tied to our ECBG program. And that program, we've already made announcements of, of kind of how much resource, how much money that these communities are getting. And now we're releasing the next kind of round where they have, <laughs> we're opening up the opportunity for them to apply for the funds, even though they're there's earmarked for them. We, we set it up where they can apply for it. And they basically just say, we want, we want these resources. We're going to have the like, first five blueprints up and running probably sometime in the next month. And so we're, we're working through that process. We want to make sure that they're as easy to digest as possible.
3: That's great. So five years from now, if you were to look back on all the work that your office has been doing, what would you use as markers of success to say that, yes, we are really successful in making sure that this funding went out and distributed to all these communities and I feel really good about how all this funding was spent?
4: Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here, right? So on one level, we certainly take seriously the idea of making sure that the funding that we put out is done effectively and efficiently in the sense of, of no fraud and waste right? So, We want to make sure that, that we're great stewards of the taxpayer's dollars. So on one level, have we gotten the resources out in that effective and efficient way, have we done so with reducing fraud? Have we got them out on time? How we had the resources hit the street? Have we done so in a way that doesn't overwhelm the grantees? Well, kind of, as I said in my speech, you know, kind of everything everywhere all at once—it hits you, and it's like, oh, well, what, what am I supposed to do? So, so you know, how do we how do we kind of phase these things out so they land right? So that's I think one hand e- effective, efficient, and impactful from that standpoint. On the other side, we wanna be equitable, meaning that for me, it's really about after this is all said and done, can we look back and look at how we actually did transform the community? So five years from now, have we left something in that community that's gonna to continue to pay dividends to that community? As a former banker, I tell people all the time, as a former banker, trust me, you can actually spend a lot of money and not, not do anything, right? And that's just the reality of it. Yeah. I don't want that to be this case in this situation. I, I feel like we need to be putting resources out there to have the maximum impact and so i'm not in, interested in funding what i call bridges of nowhere for us so you know just take some nice green building and put it in the middle of a neighborhood and nobody in the neighborhood can assess it because it's so it's so uh expensive or or, or out, out of you know kind of context but hey we, we did a lease certified building so i'm not interested in that i'm not interested in what i call green gentrification which means that we already see in, in so many cities the pressure of housing costs going up and people getting displaced and and you know we're going to see what happens you know a lot of these programs from the Aura um you know kind of uh retires with with you know rental assistance things of that nature yeah. the last thing i want to do is to say oh well, here's a bunch of resources that can go in and make these homes even more boutique right that you know make them green and and beautiful and and that that then you know creates even more demand that drives the price of and displaces people i don't have i want, i don't have a desire to see that mm-hmm. so for me looking back at 5 years i want to see How these dollars might have created more stability in neighborhoods, benefited folks who have historically been disconnected and and left behind, has created and left something of value there, whether it be business ownership, those kind of things that will continue to pay dividends to the community long, long into the future.
3: So you talk about communities that that have been left behind. You have the directive from the White House, Justice 40, to ensure that there's a large focus on low and moderate income communities and disadvantaged communities. Can you talk about how that factors into your considerations of distributing funds through your office?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the incredible things about the Justice 40, which says, you know, 40% of these benefits have to go to historically disadvantaged communities from executive order that President Biden signed pretty much the, the, the day or day after he got into office. Every application we now have, the applicant has to tell us. They have to put, put forth a community benefits plan, right? What is the community benefits plan that you 're going to do to make sure that the resources that come into this grant are used for the beneficial uh, outcomes of the community and we 're also making sure that those communities are a part of the, the design of that right so it 's not just oh we 're going to do this for this community or to this community but no we 're going to do this with this community and so and the community' going to lead it and so we so every application now has to have a community benefits agreement as part of it, and we also on the back end. We also have data that we capture to tell us, okay, what are you doing on those Justice 40 metrics? What, is that, what does that look like in terms of jobs that have family-sustaining jobs? What does that look like in terms of business ownership? What does that look like in terms of money going into these communities? And so we're tracking it, but we're also making folks tell us, essentially upfront, what are you going to do, and then we're going to hold you accountable to it.
3: That's great. And I think that's, I, it's so needed. And making sure that the funding is getting to the communities who need it most, well, I want to thank you so much on behalf of Suncast and the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast for joining us this afternoon to tell us more about your work with your office at DOE, uh, the incredibly important work that you and your team are doing. So thank you so much, Dr. McCoy, for joining us this afternoon.
4: Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Well, that's
0: a wrap on today's tactical advice. Here, summarizing from our Department of Energy in conversations that we had live at one of our Media Zone Podcast Lounges at the UNC Clean Tech Summit. We'll be doing these again in events coming near to you, probably the next one you might be able to attend, is in Philly at RE plus mid-Atlantic. What do you think of this content coming live from the events that we're hosting? I hope that you find it valuable and I hope that you will take a moment and share with Chris and Anna and Henry. Your thoughts on how the Department of Energy is doing, how you'd like to see them deploying all this capital and talent, and how you think we could do a better job if you do of bringing this content to bear for you. Hopefully, you've got some takeaways. Would you share them with us over on LinkedIn? And while you're at it, since you're online, I'd love it if you'd take a moment and just give the show your thumbs up virtually by giving us a rating and review. You can do that right there in your podcast player of choice where you can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. It's super easy. Takes just a minute and it means the world to us. I so appreciate the wonderful reviews that we have received thus far makes a lot of difference, both motivating me and helping others find this show. I'd like to thank our sponsors for helping make this show possible for you each and every week without you having to pay anything more than your attention and time. You can find out more about those sponsors or how you could partner with us to reach thousands of clean tech champions and Solar warriors each end every week twice a week just like they do by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor remember you are what you listen to thanks again for showing up Solar warrior it's half the battle